From Community Public Radio, this is the CPR News. From New York, I'm Don DeBar. Today we visit Philadelphia to speak with Professor Tony Montero of the Saturday Free School. Uh, We're going to continue our conversation about the crisis of the left, and this week we'll focus on the crises facing the Biden administration and consequently the people of this country. And uh, when we look at what's going on around Ukraine and across Europe, I would say, and and Asia, as a matter of fact, I would say that these crises uh, affect pretty much everyone in the world. Uh, Tony, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on with us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Don. And um, you're right by highlighting the crises uh, of the Biden administration. Uh, You know, Biden and his people like to announce constantly that they have achieved more in one year than any administration in memory. Yeah. Uh, more inflation, well, uh, more uh, closer to World War III, uh, more, a whole lot of more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the other thing that they don't like to mention is no administration has, uh, in such a short time, one year that is, collapsed. Uh, the poll numbers kind of say it all. Uh, favorable ratings of the high 30s to low 40%. But the disapproval ratings approaching 60 percent, 60 percent. And then the worst news for the Biden administration is this phenomenon, this economic phenomenon that they said would be transitory now seems to be the the permanent uh, definition of the economy at this time, and that is inflation, which last month uh, went up to 7.5%. And that does not include things that most of us uh, rely upon, such as fuel, gas, heating fuel, and uh, food. Uh, When you talk about gas, you're talking about a inflation rate of over 50%. And when you talk about most food items, you're talking about in the high 30s and in the 40s. So uh, this is the undoing of an administration which attempted to present itself and to sell itself politically as the most progressive administration since the New Deal. Since Franklin Roosevelt. You know, what's interesting about this, I just want to interrupt for a second. The the two things, one is that, you know, the the, uh, inflation itself in January was actually higher than inflation in Venezuela, whose economy has been, to use Hank Kissinger's words, screaming with uh, U.S. sanctions. And the other is that this inflation, people have been invoking the Carter administration and the situation that was facing them going into the 1980 election. But it took four years, first of all, for that. And the Carter administration was actually under siege by the intel agencies and others that wanted to put Reagan in and take a more bellicose uh, approach towards the Soviet bloc. Here, 
uh, Biden is installed by those very same forces and is being propped up by the media across the board and by Langley and others, and he's still tanking. He's still tanking, which gets me to my point. This represents uh, an existential, and I often use that word, the existential crisis of American liberalism, which then raises the question of, well, what about the left? Uh, isn't there a left-wing, progressive wing of the Democratic Party? And my argument is that what is self-identifying as the left are really liberals with an attitude. In other words, liberals who present themselves as more angry, more militant, more uh, a sense of urgency, more me, 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 more extreme than normal liberalism. Now, what is that saying? You know, we've been arguing and you and I have been going back and forth, the faux left, the fake left, the left is not really a left. Well, the fact of the matter is it's not a left. What is called the left? I don't care whether you say Bernie Sanders or AOC or the squad or the progressive uh, caucus in the House of Representatives. What calls itself the left are really liberals with an attitude, yeah. liberals who take extreme cultural positions, liberals that in fact attack the base of progressivism, the working class, the lower middle classes, and so on. Never before have we seen this. Never has there been a left, well, probably anywhere in the modern world, that attacks the working class. Not like that, really. But this left does. And, and attacking the working class, be it the 1619 Project, be it the counter-revolution of 1776, be it all of these gender uh, uh, norming of, of, of other gender uh, uh, lifestyles, all of that represents liberalism gone crazy. And now, and let me just I'll end on, on this, take the 2020 election. Don, you and I talked about this incessantly. What is behind this Black Lives Matter movement? Who are the organizers? Who are the financiers? Uh, what is this? You know, the New York Times announced that this is the greatest, uh, largest civil rights movement in all of history. Some 15 to 20 million people took part in Black Lives Matter uh, demonstrations. Well, as it turns out, and I think when I explain it, it'll make all the sense in the world, that in 2016, the Democrats saw with the best candidate they could have put forward, uh, that they could not win using the normal uh, mechanisms of electoral politics. The most highly financed, the most powerful national political machine, certainly in the Democratic Party, was the Clinton machine. Right. And it could be a newcomer. What they decided is that, well, we need that, but that plus something else. And that plus something else was this uh, apparent movement 
which in fact was created, was organized, was financed by the liberal establishment promoted by the corporate media and by uh, the internet and social media. And it was sold as this great uprising that was pushing forward progressivism and that Joe Biden, now this is the irony, right. Joe Biden would be in the forefront of the progressive remaking of American culture and American society and doing away with inequality. The problem was that in order to carry out this campaign to elect Joe Biden, uh, who didn't have the energy to campaign, by the way, uh, in order to do that, they had to accept this wild, uh, extreme, uh, really petty bourgeois and youthful shenanigans and performance of what called itself progressive. We are angry. We see suffering and we're going to end it. We're going to take down all of the statues and symbols of America's ugly racist past. We're going to redefine gender. We're going to put transgenderism to the fore because that is the most oppressed group. And this idea that these zealots who are uh, on a mission to end, quote, suffering wherever it would exist. But in the meantime, uh, the whole thing was to save themselves, to redefine themselves, and to make themselves appear to be moral crusaders against all that is wrong. And ultimately, and this is the, this is the rub, ultimately, Everything that was wrong could be found in that group of people who constituted the traditional base of the Democratic Party. Hence, in February of 2022, you have the president they all wanted. The president that they did not want is gone, is out, he's not on social media at all. You have the president you want, but you do not have a governing coalition. And that is the crisis. You know, when you mentioned uh, Black Lives Matter, which, by the way, was founded in 2013, which means it was not a response to Donald Trump or a Republican administration or the conditions created by those, but rather by the conditions that existed into the second term of Barack Obama. Um, it sounds an awful lot like the Arab Spring sounded. And, and, and the role, let me just develop this off for a minute, the role that it plays looks an awful lot like the role that the Arab Spring uh, played. If you look at the problems of Arab countries, and uh, and others, so pretty much all of Africa, and it used to be most of Asia, but now that which is outside of the orbit of China, um, the biggest problem facing them is the exploitation by imperialism. And in the Arab Spring, the one thing that was not mentioned 
was imperialism. And as a matter of fact, the United States held itself out as an ally to the freedom fighters, quote unquote. Look at Libya, for example. In the United States, domestically, Black Lives Matter finding full expression, first of all, after two and a half years, you saw uh, more than that, uh, three years and change, Trump got elected. And then after seven years, they elected Biden. Nothing has changed. The administration hasn't changed. Power hasn't changed. The police haven't stopped shooting black people or anyone else hasn't changed. And the only thing that has happened is that the, the people on the ground here and in the Arab countries and elsewhere are more t- intensively divided than they were before and therefore less able to deal with the fundamental problems that they're facing. It's a distraction that, that cuts deep. Yeah, well, yeah. You you compare it to the Arab Spring. To me, it's it's another color revolution. Yeah, uh, which is what that it, was. Yeah, yeah, that's what that was too. Yeah, it's a color revolution, and so you have to consider all of the nefarious and unseen forces, like the deep state, like the intelligence community, like uh, the, uh, national endowment for democracy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because they had to get Trump out. And that, and of course that showed who these so-called, and I put quotes, inverted quotes, so-called leftists are. They were in fact a part of the liberal mechanism to take back power in order to do precisely what you have suggested take back the world in the name of democracy. Uh, and of course, it, you know, the, um, uh, the situation in Eastern Europe, in Europe and Ukraine, uh, the uh, brinksmanship of the Biden administration, whether there's a war there or not, the only way I think there would be a war if Russia is provoked Uh, Russia is not interested in a war in Ukraine, uh, as China is not interested in a war in in Taiwan or the South Pacific, uh, you know. So it is, you know, the whole drama, the whole thing, as you put it, and I agree, in essence, was about reestablishing the position of U.S. imperialism as a hegemon in the world and taking down whatever opposition, be it Russia or China or really the Russia-China alliance that stands in the way of U.S. imperialist hegemony. They became drunk on the aftermath of the uh, unraveling of the Soviet Union that triumphalism, they were, they're like high on a drug and they can't get off of it. They don't know how to think about a realistic foreign policy. And so they're pushing this and in the course of pushing it, they're adding to the contradictions of the American system itself, which, and and I'll end here, which identifies itself as liberal and democratic 
but which also defines liberalism in a way that the Franklin Roosevelt's or the LBJ's or even the Martin Luther King's would have defined it as a will of all that liberalism is dedicated, whether it could do it or not, to uh, bettering the lives of people, of the uh, citizenry. What we have today is madness. Liberalism defined as, quote, progressivism is not about uh, bettering the lives of all. It is about destroying most things in the name of fighting, suffering, and exploitation, and then coming out with every kind of foolish theory uh, that explains uh, why they're doing what they're doing. You know, there's a just a snapshot of two things that I want to hold up for comparison. Uh, at the beginning of... Uh, <clears throat> February, actually, on January 31st, they issued the letter from the California uh, Attorney General's office. Uh, the uh, nonprofit entity that is the official Black Lives Matter entity uh, was cited by the state for not filing their annual uh, the tax returns that they have to file for, for the Charities Bureau of the AG's office. Uh, they reported that in 2020, they pulled in $90 million dollars. Okay, and and uh, they said they expensed about thirty of it, so they gained, they netted uh, sixty million dollars just in twenty twenty. Now, my recollection is when Malcolm X was assassinated, he had just been burned out of a rented house that belonged to the Nation of uh, Islam, um, and there I know for a fact there was no uh, million dollar bank account anywhere. This is after uh, fifteen twenty years of intensive struggle uh, that has left quite a different footprint uh, in the uh, culture here than Black Lives Matter has and, and in an entirely different direction. And then I would uh, estimate that Fred Hampton, for example, or the national leadership of the Black Panther Party as they were assassinated and jailed, likewise had financial pictures that resembled much more Malcolm X's than uh, the three uh, characters at Black Lives Matter. To me, that says an awful lot about the very nature of, of the things. And if you're looking at the nature of the thing, then you can kind of infer what the actual role it plays in the development of society is. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you're very right about that. And that says it all. That snapshot says it all. Uh, because at the end of the day... It is not about improving the lives of the working people, the working masses, the working class. It is about improving my life, my individual life. And so we go from traditional or classical liberalism that says that the individual, if she or he works hard, if she or he lives by the proper cultural, social values, if she or he educates themselves and so on and so forth, can improve themselves and in so doing improve society. But the role of politics, and this is the uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt administration, the role of politics is to better society in a progressive way. However, right. this 
Leftism, again, inverted quotes, this leftism is an attack upon traditional liberalism, but they themselves are nothing but liberals without uh, ideas, without a vision, without an imagination. Hence, this leftism is completely destructive, completely nihilistic, completely pessimistic, and the broad masses of people realize this, and hence, Joe Biden, who attached his wagon to them and his electoral victory to them, is now paying the price for a political alliance which was opportunistic, which was a way of being elected, but was not a uh, a vision that would unite people. And it's all over. Now, the question is, is it all over for the Democratic Party? Yeah. I think we will know by by November of this year. You know, just one, one further thing, by the way. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and we're going to find out like the day after Election Day. Um, uh, Malcolm, Martin Luther King, Fred Hampton, a lot of them saw the solution to the problem, to the contradictions that existed in the country um, and in the world uh, as essentially, I'll use the Marxist term, but it's conceptually identical, um, class unity. That Malcolm came to that when he went after he went to Mecca. Um, Martin Luther King enunciated that extremely clearly in the last few years of his life, although he always sort of moved towards that and developed that. And Fred Hampton, as much as, as demonstrated the model by inviting people from the Klan and other groups like that to come sit and work with them and learn about each other. What happens here in the aftermath is exactly the opposite. The, the effect, whether it's the purpose or not, it's difficult to argue that it's not, but certainly the effect of the politics that are being brought out by these various elements, these groups, is to divide the working class into impenetrable groups in opposition to each other. The, the deplorables, the irredeemables, the white supremacists that can barely afford to make their car payments or, or can't put their kids through college anymore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We end up with a working class uprising, all the ones that we witnessed in 2016 manifestations of, including the people that were actually showing up at the Black Lives Matter rallies, not the leadership, but the people who were there that were being misdirected, the people that were at the Capitol building that were being misdirected, the people that now are in trucks and and on Ottawa, and you hear people that hold themselves out to be leftists and even communists that are criticizing them as fascists. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. There's something about a bouncy castle. I don't know if you saw the actual video of what goes on in Ottawa. It looked like a like a street fair. They had a bouncy castle with kids kids climbing on it, music, accordions, and stuff. All this nonsense. Nazis, racists, anti, uh, all of that. The point being that there's no one out there being heard arguing in favor of creating class unity while you have all of these disparate elements of the class facing the same conditions that normally in history would unify them just by sheer force. Mm -hmm. That's right. By sheer force of their common condition. Exactly. 
of working people across the board, irregardless of race or religion or ethnicity, is that they're all being pushed down. They're all uh, as a result of inflation uh, and other things, by the way, but certainly inflation, uh, losing. Uh, if, if you didn't make uh, and have an increase of 7.5% or 8% in the uh, last year, you lost. You're, you're paying a tax right. for being a worker, uh, for not being a billionaire. Uh, and, and where is the left, you see? And where is the Bernie Sanders of the world? And of course, we use him as a symbol yeah. of what is wrong. Uh, to call Bernie Sanders leftist is such a mistake and such a misdirection uh, that it says if this is the left, right. then uh, what 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 can I do? What what should I be? Right. He's our anti-working class left. Now they'll say, well, oh, we're for, for single payer health care. Good. Right. But that doesn't make you left. Yeah. You know, uh, left means a comprehensive worldview, a comprehensive program that unites people to fight for for their rights, not that divides them and then come and say, well, I am your savior, uh, uh, ergo um, uh, uh, AOC. You know, how can you be the savior of the working class when, you're, when you, the, your constituency, pretty much uh, the people who elected you are uh, people like you, uh, upper middle class, uh, educated uh, urbanites uh, who rent apartments and and live a certain lifestyle and have certain values. You are not connected uh, to the workers, deindustrialized workers of the Kensington part of Philadelphia right. or the Tioga part of Philadelphia, factories all over the place abandoned. You're not a part of Butler, Pennsylvania's uh, uh, deindustrialized, unemployed, uh, crack and fentanyl addicted uh, right. people you know right. uh, this is right. this is near, uh, sheer nonsense and it has to be exposed and it has to be taken down and i want to add one other thing as i said last time when we talked the 1619 project the the counter-revolution of 1776 uh, uh the quote how to be an anti-racist thing you know all of this is a part of a strategy, an ideological political strategy of a ruling class right. to divide the working class, to guarantee the, the, the uh, ruling elite of this country has a free hand to do what it wishes to do in this country, but most importantly, on a global scale. Absolutely. And you know, a perfect example of that, and we were like in the last minute and a half or something here, perfect example of that is Bernie Sanders. A another thing that Malcolm came to, 
and uh, Martin Luther King came too, the Black Panthers came too, just about anyone that offered any real vision to working people in the United States was to tie in the situation of, for example, internal colonies in the United States, the way they characterized black folks here, with the international situation of external colonies. And Bernie Sanders' uh, demonstration of solidarity uh, across those lines was to look at the most progressive government in the Western Hemisphere, perhaps outside of Cuba, and, and, and potentially the most powerful one, and call the founder of that revolution a dead communist dictator, showing that there there was absolutely no strategy whatsoever for connecting working people here with Venezuela, A, to defend their revolution, and B, to enrich the working class here in its struggle for its own survival with the benefit of Venezuela's assistance. That is what revolutionaries do if they plan to win, and that is exactly what Bernie Sanders was thwarting with his approach to foreign policy in the Western Hemisphere. And so it's really not even that hidden, the nature of these people, because we didn't hear any objection. We've heard the same kind of language out of AOC and a lot of them, and it tells you everything about them. And, and yeah. with that, we got to kind of hit it off because we're at the end of the program. Tony, thank you very much. And um, we're going to encourage people to tune in on Saturday uh, on Facebook to page for the uh, Saturday Free School and uh, watch what goes on between uh, 10 a.m. and uh, about 1 p.m. on Saturday in Eastern Time. Yes. Thanks, Tony. And that's all the news we have for you right now. For Community Public Radio, I'm Don DeBar in New York. Thanks for listening.